Hey, good morning. Good to see you all. Um, it's not going to uh, flow smoothly from what we've just been praying about. That's serious stuff, but I've got a bit of a light-hearted start for you. So, um, what connects these two images? That's my question. She's got it. Something about a secret recipe. This is a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, KFC. Uh, it's probably lots of you know that. Um, there are a few important secrets that remain hidden to this day. And one of them is uh, to do with KFC. Um, so they've spoken to one of the employees of KFC who's, who's telling us that, uh, that only a handful of people know the real blend of the 11 herbs and spices for KFC's original recipe, Kentucky Fried t Chicken. And that recipe is kept in a vault in Kentucky. And in fact, across KF KFC, only two or three people actually know the exact recipe. This is how secret it is. And they, in fact, they have two different spice blenders. And uh, one factory does half the blend. Oh, I don't even know if this is true. I hope it is. And another factory does the second half of the blend and packs it so that no one factory has got the complete recipe. Yeah, it's fascinating. You never know what you're going to learn in church, do you? Um, so, uh, yes, that's interesting. And then SpongeBob, if you're a SpongeBob fan, one of the underlying themes there is that there's a secret formula for the uh, Krabby Patty. Lucia obviously knows all about this. And there's a one undisclosed ingredient that nobody knows. And little, um, yeah, little Plankton, you see him there, he's the uh, little evil villain who's always trying to steal the formula and, uh, so he can open his own restaurant. Yeah, you need to catch up. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you guys, what have you been doing? <laughs> okay, probably something more worthwhile. So anyhow, enough, enough. So we're carrying on with our Ephesians um, theme this morning. So this morning we're going to look at Ephesians 3, verses 1 to 13. The Message Bible um, titles this, The Secret Plan of God. So this is what we're reading from. Ephesians 3 and verses 1 to 13. This is why I, Paul, am in jail for Christ, having taken up the cause of you outsiders, so-called. I take it that you're familiar with the part I was given in God's plan for including everybody. I got the inside story on this from God himself, as I just wrote you in brief. As you read over what I've written to you, you'll be able to see for yourselves into the mystery of Christ. None of our ancestors understood this. Only in our time has it been made clear by God's Spirit through his holy apostles and prophets of this new order. The mystery is that people who have never heard of God and those who have heard of him all their lives, what I've been calling outsiders and insiders, stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer, same help, same promises in Christ Jesus. The message is accessible and welcoming to everyone across the board. This is my life work, helping people understand and respond to this message. It came as a sheer gift to me, a real surprise, God handling all the details. When it came to presenting the message to people who had no background in God's way, I was the least qualified of any of the available Christians. God saw to it that I was equipped, but you can be sure that it had nothing to do with my natural abilities. 
And so here I am, preaching and writing about things that are way over my head, the inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. The inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. We could do a whole sermon just on that, that little phrase, couldn't we? That would, or a book, probably. Anyhow, my task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God who created all this in the first place has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Through followers of Jesus like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. All this is proceeding along lines planned all along by God and then executed in Christ Jesus. When we trust in him, we're free to say whatever needs to be said, bold to go wherever we need to go. So don't let my present trouble on your behalf get you down. Be proud. So there are two parts to um, what I'm focusing on today. And uh, the first part, part one, is particularly homing in on verse six. Um, and I'll just read that again. So verse 6 says, The mystery is that people who have never heard of God and those who have heard of him all their lives, what I've been calling outsiders and insiders, stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer, same help, same promises in Christ Jesus. The message is accessible and welcoming to everyone across the board. So that's it's in three different versions up on your screen back there. This very much follows... Obviously, uh, on from last week, which John was speaking on Ephesians 2, on the second part of Ephesians 2. Um, I recommend you watch that YouTube if you haven't done, catch up on that one. Um, I'm not repeating what he says, but it, it builds on that. Obviously, it, it's, um, Paul didn't write it as separate letters. He's written this whole book. So this builds on it. So these other versions, in New International Version, it says, um, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Or the New Century Version, I quite like this one, simplifies things sometimes. It says, this is, that, this is that secret, that through the good news, those who are not Jews will share with the Jews in God's blessing. They belong to the same body and they share together in the promise that God made in Christ Jesus. So um, the word that these verses have translated into English as secret or mystery um, is the word mysterion, quite a cool word, Greek word, mysterion. So here's where we part ways with KFC and Mr. Krabs already. And um, because mysterion is an open secret, not a closely guarded one. Um, John Stott, an uh, English theologian, he said, Mysterion is a truth hitherto hidden from human knowledge or understanding, but now disclosed by the revelation of God. And I think that's important that it's by the revelation of God, not by somebody clever working this out. This isn't about um, being brainy and analyzing stuff. This is about having a revelation from God, a spark of understanding and insight given by the Holy Spirit. It often refers to an Old Testament teaching um, that's just not quite been understood until Jesus has come and made sense of it. And that's certainly the case um, with what Paul's writing about in this passage. So I think the next screen says the secret's out. If it's, yeah, it's there. The secret's out. Everyone is invited. It's always been God's plan to include everybody. His offer of salvation through Jesus is for all of us. 
You know, there's a trail of breadcrumbs that runs throughout the Old Testament. The clues that point to this mystery, this secret, um, that it was always the plan to invite everyone into God's family, not just a select few. In fact, I think the trail begins way back in, in Genesis, you know, right at the start where we can see something of God's expansive heart because he says to Adam and Eve to go out into the world, to almost like multiply the Garden of Eden. And then just a dozen chapters later, there's the story of Abraham and his calling. And he's called to be a blessing to all nations, to all people. Um, You know, a Jewish person would trace their lineage all the way back to Abraham. That's how, if they were a descendant of Abraham, that made them part of God's family. But Jesus has made a way for anyone who comes to him to belong not to be a guest at the table or a lodger in the spare room, but to be a bona fide member of the family with all the rights and the privileges uh, that the original members have. There are a lot more breadcrumb clues that we could follow through the Old Testament to back this up, but I think you get the idea that it's always been his intention to include everyone in his salvation plan. All of us equally sharing the inheritance all of us united, all of us sharing the same promises. So I think the next screen, let's have a look what's coming up. Yeah, okay. Um, whether, so whether you have a rich spiritual, spiritual heritage, maybe you have a family um, where your parents and your grandparents faithfully followed Jesus, or as far as you know, you're the first believer in your family line, either way, at the foot of the cross, We all stand on level ground. You know, whether you've known Jesus since childhood or you just met him yesterday at the foot of the cross, we all stand on level ground. Whether you are living a squeaky clean life or you're playing it fast and loose at the foot of the cross, we all stand on level ground. None of us gets a pedestal to stand on because of our heritage or our Bible knowledge or our clean living. And no one has to join the back of the queue either to hide behind anyone else. That's not the way it is. Um, I like this quote. This is, I just read this this week. I think it was in the 24-7 prayer stuff that we do, the Lectio book. So this is from Nkosinathi Umbayazi, and he leads 24-7 prayer in South Africa. He says this, The mystery at the heart of the good news about Jesus is that nobody is special, or rather, we all are. There are no barriers and no divisions. No matter what my nationality, my social status, or my racial heritage may be, in Christ I am a joint heir to all of God's promises. I'm an equal member of the body of Christ. I'm not an outsider awaiting my invitation. Christ has already welcomed me. Now, I remember um, many years ago, a friend said to me, um, would someone like me be welcome at your church? And I said, absolutely, absolutely yes, absolutely yes. But there's a more important question than whether somebody would feel at home with us odd bunch on a Sunday morning, isn't there? It's whether she would be welcomed by Jesus. Would she be welcomed by Jesus? Yes. 
Yes, you would. The offer of salvation is for everyone. So let me move on to part two. There's a question for you. You might find this one different to the earlier one. Um, So let's have the next slide, Tina. Thank you. What is the church here for? So you might want to just talk to the person near you. I'll give you a minute to think. What is the church here for? How would you answer that question? What's the purpose of the church? I'm thinking there's probably not one right answer. So if you got a suggestion, I'd be happy to hear it. See if Lucia knows a good answer for this one. (laughs) Community, yeah? We're here for community, yeah? Anything else? Sharing the love of God with each other, yeah? Happy families. Okay, we've got a bit of a theme going on here. Thank you. Say again, sorry. To draw people to God from outside of church and from within? From outside. Okay, yeah, good. Social solidarity. You're in the middle of writing an essay or something about that. Doing your homework. (laughs) Wow. Social integration. If you need any help with your sociology essay, <laughs> help you later. <laughs> My illustration, being the light. Mm-hmm. I think you've had enough. Give someone else a chance. Yeah, I knew you had an earpiece in and somebody was whispering to you. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Ebony. <laughs> She's not speaking to me. <laughs> okay, anything else? To remind us of the love of Christ. Make disciples of Jesus, yeah? Anyone at the back? No, we're done. Okay. Sandra? Show everyone the way to Jesus. Okay, okay. That's good. Yeah, that's good. So you might have heard it put like this, I think on the next screen, um, that the church has a threefold purpose. The exaltation of God, which worshipping God. The edification of the saints, that means building us up, helping us grow as Christians, be disciples. And the evangelization of the world, yeah, bringing other people to Jesus or going out um, to reach people for Jesus. And I think probably... Hopefully, all the suggestions that you came up with fit into one of those. If not, not to worry. Um, But I think that when Paul talks about the church in this passage in Ephesians 3, he's looking at it from a slightly different perspective. And what we're going to look at is just verses 10 to 12. I think they're on the next slide, and this is in the New International Version now. It says, His intent, God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So this is a slightly different angle, isn't it, on what the church is here for. 
Um, let's just clarify a little bit. The idea of rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, um, I think without going into detail, because I don't know much, um, there are, this is about spiritual beings that are either pro-Jesus or opposed to Jesus. Like two camps, in effect, that operate in the spiritual realm, and yet they can influence the hearts and the minds of people. You know, we don't talk about this very much. I think Ben mentioned some stuff when he preached a couple of weeks back. We don't talk about it much. I don't know whether we're afraid of sounding a bit weird and wacky. Or maybe we don't even think about this much because we're part of a society that's almost entirely focused on the material world. And, you know, we don't want any of us to get sucked into an unhealthy obsession uh, where we begin to blame demons for every mishap and misfortune and mistake. But I think most of us have probably swung too far in the opposite direction and we largely ignore the influence of the spiritual realm. But the Bible does talk about it and uh, the good and the bad, and it is real. So, and I think we'll get on to Ephesians 6 eventually. We're slowly getting our way through Ephesians. But Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, as our lives are transformed by the gospel, as we worship Jesus and we spread the message of salvation, the power and the wisdom and the wonder of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross is made loud and clear to the principalities and powers in the spiritual realm. And the Lord is glorified. Let me read the, the verses again, just verses 10 and 11. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God's objective is that this happens through the church. Not so much perhaps through lone ranger Christians or big shot celebrity preachers, but through ordinary people who put their faith in the extraordinary work of Jesus on the cross. Ordinary people who make up the ordinary church like us, but that have extraordinary power and position because of Jesus. The, uh, Ralph Martin, he's a Catholic the theologian, he wrote this. The church on earth, it should be on the, is it on the screen? No, it's not on the screen, don't worry. The church on earth is the witness to and the vehicle of this revealed mystery. And the hostile angelic powers are not only held in wonder at this, but their death knell is sounded with the proclamation that God in Christ has decisively acted for cosmic salvation and so brought their malign reign over human life to an end. Now, I like to think of the um, hostile angelic powers, as Martin calls them, looking at us lot and saying, damn, it really works. What happened on that cross all that time back, it's still having an impact. Look at them, enjoying his love and his power and his presence. Um, you might find it helpful to, to look at it this way. This is, this, um, this is from something I read from John Piper. Um, he says, picture in your mind a great artist painting on a huge canvas with many brushes. Most of those brushes, very ordinary, worn and shabby. The painter is God. He's invisible, 
but intends his painting to be the visible display of his wisdom. His canvas is immense. God is painting with thousands and thousands of colors and shades and textures, a picture as big as the universe, as old as creation and as lasting as eternity, a picture we call history, with the central drama being the preparation, salvation and formation of the church of Jesus. And he's using thousands of different brushes, most of them very ordinary and very small, because every minute detail is crucial in this painting to display the wisdom of the painter. These brushes, uh, Piper says, are God's missionaries. So just let me just hold up a minute, because when we hear that word missionary, we can immediately uh, go to a thought of someone going to the other side of the world uh, to make converts. And we watched stuff about Lauren Cunningham and YWAM, and that's fantastic. But each of us are missionaries bring in God's love and his message to the people that are part of our lives. It needs to be part of our, our mindset that this is us. Um, John Piper rhyme, rounds off his thoughts with this. And this is uh, coming up on the screen. Missions exists and the church exists so that angels would stand in awe of the wisdom of God. God displays his wisdom in history so that the worship in heaven would be white hot with admiration and wonder. And the evil principalities and powers must look on this painting and watch the wisdom by which they were defeated at the very moment they thought they'd triumphed in the death and resurrection of Christ. Now, it's so easy for you and me to have a me-centered view of salvation, a me-centered view of the church. And of course, that's okay. You know, we get so much. We've been given so much. Jesus has done so much for us personally. We've been blessed by being saved by him, by being part of this family. We're so thankful. But Paul's perspective in these verses shows us a God-centered view of the gospel and the church. And it's all about making the glory of the Lord known. Let's have the next slide, uh, Tina. Thank you. Yeah, so as we consider the question of what the church is here for, I'll, I think it's helpful to think of us as the gathered church and the scattered church. So the gathered church being what happens when we're together in meetings, so mostly our Sunday stuff, and the scattered church, what happens the rest of the time. So that's us Monday to Saturday on our front lines where we live and work and study and play. You know, I think we all know we don't stop being part of church at 12 o'clock when we walk out of here. We're still very much church. So it's through the church gathered and the church scattered that the manifold wisdom of God is being made known. His glory is being shown. Because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, the multifaceted, multicolored, glorious wisdom of God shines through us, the church, as a people and as individuals, wherever we are. So something of the manifold wisdom of God is made known in this school hall every time we worship together, declaring truths that exalt Jesus. And something of the manifold wisdom of God is made known in the staff room at work when you close down a gossipy conversation with words that build up and encourage. It's made known in Helen and Steve's living room 
when the hub mum, hub's there and people are laughing and listening and learning from each other. And it's made known when we open the Bible and we preach on a Sunday morning. It's made known um, if you build a friendship at a toddler group and you offer to pray for somebody there. You know, something of the manifold wisdom of God is made known in conversations around the table at Alpha. It's made known when Sandra shares her faith on Front Street with a stranger. It's made known when you genuinely welcome a new person into church, however different they might be from you. It's made known in your home, you know, when you as a parent share something of your testimony or your love for God with your child. That's making known God's glory, his wisdom. Something of the manifold wisdom of God is made known here when we share communion together. And it's made known through tear-filled eyes as we choose to forgive someone that's hurt us deeply. The manifold wisdom of God is made known when someone says a life-changing yes to Jesus for the first time. And it's made known when someone says a habit-busting yes to Jesus for the hundredth time. You know, I could go on and on. We glorify God in our everyday ordinary lives and we don't even notice we're doing it. And we glorify God here in this place and in our hubs. It's happening all the time. Do you, with a band, just come back up. I'm going to wind up. Just one more thing. So God's plan hasn't changed. That secret plan that's been revealed. It's still to include everyone in the offer of salvation through Jesus. And his plan is for the gospel to go out to the ends of your street and to the ends of the world. He wants the gospel, his plan is for the gospel to be carried on the lips and shining through the lives of ordinary believers, us lot. Whether we're gathered in church or we're scattered through society. You know, like Paul in this passage, I didn't look in detail at this, but he talks about feeling unqualified for the task. And we may well feel unqualified for the task. But God's called us and he's equipped us and he's sending us to do this. Thank you.